Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number nine. We have the whole gang here. Uh, this week, we have a guest, Maryam Romani, who is a senior manager with the security partner development team to talk to us about governance, risk, and compliance. But before we get stuck into that, let's uh, let's start with the news. Mark, what do we have? Yeah, I had some interesting stuff. Um, one of the one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and it sort of came up again, was how important threat modeling is. Um, so a little bit less news, a little more insight. The thing that I've noticed is that like everybody kind of had a similar architectures um, when you look at how we did security of sort of the on-premise world, and you know we had sites, we had a we had an edge firewall or ingress egress firewall, however you want to call it. And you know, then we had all the apps and servers and all that on there. Virtualization didn't really change much. So security has been kind of living in the same architecture and sort of a de facto threat model for a long time. And then all of a sudden, we, we, we're starting to see more and more organizations embracing platform as a service or PaaS, P-A-S, um, types of applications and, and all the services. And they're doing mashups and APIs and um, software as a service You know, sometimes as well. Um, and so all of a sudden, what we assumed a network would look like, an enterprise environment would look like, is not what we're actually seeing in terms of the apps and the overall environment. It's it's changing. And it's, you know, I'm starting to see more and more that we have to dust off um, skills that some of us have had, and, and for some folks it's new, how to do a threat model. Like, we have to look at the system and look at how it's architected and, you know, ask these questions about, hey, how would an attacker attack this? And here's all the list of ways that they could. Now let's prioritize those, figure it out, and then mitigate the, the most important ones, right? So we're starting to see, like, threat modeling coming back as a theme that, I mean, I, I haven't seen as a dominant theme, but it's been on and off for, like, 10, 15 years. And so that's one of the things I've noticed, like, and, and, and there's also an insight that was interesting to me, which was we were actually starting to see some of the limitations of threat modeling because, you know, we were we were actually, um, Michael, you and I were on this uh, this call, the, uh, the Azure Lighthouse team was getting a request for, hey, can you, uh, our customers want a threat model, um, can you help us build one? And for those that aren't familiar, Azure Lighthouse is, um, it's a service that allows MSSPs, which uh, Miriam's gonna be talking about a little bit, uh, in a little bit here, but uh, it allows uh, service providers, uh, managed security service providers, to go ahead and you know manage or manage service providers in general to manage multiple customer tenants, so they can have you know 10, 20, 30, hundreds even um, uh, customers on Azure, and they do the management for them and provide that service. And so, when we took a look at that, we're like, how do you threat model something like that when the customer chooses what they delegate to the service provider, and, the, and then the the service provider really has a lot of flexibility as well on how they actually delegate among their people. And so it was actually challenging. And we realized that a threat model didn't quite fit that scenario. It was actually better to think about it in terms of, and we're working with them to develop, a shared responsibility model, because that allows you to deal with that flexibility. Now, if it was a concrete system and a very specific thing, and we're looking into a couple of reference points of that, reference configurations for Azure Sentinel and others, you know, you can actually do threat modeling on that because you've made decisions and you can ask a security question and get a concrete answer back. Um, it is a really fascinating insight about how important one threat modeling is, but two, sometimes it's not the magic bullet. It's not the actual um, answer for all things. So that was sort of an interesting insight for me this, this week. 
The other thing is um, I'm doing a uh, Azure Top Best Practices uh, event for a local Tampa chapter of um, CSA, the Cloud Security Alliance. Um, so, you know, because now everything's virtual, <laughs> uh, anybody can attend. So uh, we'll uh, put the link out there for that. And then the last piece is I noticed some news where um, some more um, brands were getting hit by ransomware attacks where um, domain admins in this case were specifically or, you know, enterprise AD admins. Uh, were specifically cited as one of the causes. And so I just want to make sure as a public service announcement, share our privilege access roadmap out um, once again, because um, it is very important to be uh, addressing risks to those very, very highly privileged accounts. Um, so we'll uh, put a link for that on the show notes as well. That's all I got. I got a couple of items. The first one is to do with the revocation of some non-compliant certificate authorities. Uh, there were some issues. I'm not, not going to go into all the details. Uh, there's going to be links in the show notes. DigiCert had a couple of issues uh, with their root certificates. And so uh, we basically uh, revoked those, or they have been revoked. Uh, and that has actually has some impact if you're using some DigiCert certificates. Uh, again, there's a link in the, in the show notes. So if you're using things like API management, application gateway, uh, Azure CDN, front door, AD proxy, or app services, and you have a certificate from DigiCert, uh, you've got some uh, little action item you need to look at. Uh, the other one is, we talked about this a few months ago, there's uh, customer managed key support for MySQL and for PostgreSQL. Well, that is now no longer in preview. It is now publicly available. Uh, so that's really great news. Again, you know, you'll see a lot of trends across Azure with customer managed key support for database systems, as well as uh, more fine-tuned support for TLS and TLS 1.2 specifically. And that's what I got. A couple of things this week. Um, my big, the number one piece of news I have this week is that we now have line numbers in the Log Analytics query editor. So if you've been using Log Analytics or Sentinel that sits on top of Log Analytics, all the queries didn't have line numbers. So um, if you were making errors with your queries, which I frequently do, um, uh, it would tell you what line it was on, but you would actually have to count. So now we uh, actually have, uh, we tell you where the, what line it's on and there's an actual line number, which will help you debug your queries in log analytics, which is a very good thing. The other log analytics thing that we have is now if you're uh, if you're using System Center, it's now going to own Blade in Log Analytics, uh, which means if you're using SCOM instances connected into Log Analytics from, uh, from your environment, uh, you've now got it in a separate Blade and you can get visibility of what's going on there in a little bit clearer fashion, which is nice. And then the last thing that I was going to talk about is uh, right now, uh, this week when we're recording this, it is KubeCon EU virtual. Uh, KubeCon was, of course, supposed to be uh, back in March um, in Amsterdam, but as most things this year, that hasn't quite gone to plan. And um, now KubeCon is hosting a virtual event. I'm presenting, I'm on a panel actually tomorrow, my time. Um, unfortunately, it's at three o'clock in the morning, my time, uh, damn time zones. As usual, um, all the uh, big Kubernetes players are there, including Microsoft. And you can go visit the um, you can go visit the team on on the virtual booth um, and talk to them about AKS and some of the other cool open source things that we do in the Kubernetes cloud native space. So uh, if you didn't know, Microsoft is the um, 
the main organization that maintains things like Helm and Draft uh, and Brigade and the Cloud Native um, Application Bundle or CNAB. So if you've ever played around with those, um, go visit uh, the team, the guys and the girls who are on that team and go say hi. And that's everything I have this week. I'm going to expand a little bit about um, what Mark was talking regarding the managed manage, uh, security service providers. Actually, Microsoft Intelligence Security Association, or MISA for short, uh, has expanded to include uh, managed uh, security service providers. Uh, and I, I'm not going to talk much about it, but I, I'm really excited. If, if you have heard previous uh, podcasts, you may remember me talking about Microsoft Graph uh, Security API and how it enables a uniform uh, data schema and set of queries that allowed uh, interconnection and interoperation with uh, other services, both Microsoft and, and third-party vendors. Well, this is another um, type of work that we're doing to expand uh, the type of opportunities that we're giving to partners. I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about it uh, in a little bit uh, with Mariam. The next news that I want to talk about is the amount of guidance that Microsoft is releasing uh, regarding uh, Security Operations Center. Um, and, and the latest blog is how to organize your security team, the evolution of cybersecurity roles and responsibilities. This is uh, really important because our services are automatically collecting, correlating, analyzing data, and creating context-focused reports that uncover uh, the extent of an uh, incident. In previous uh, type of services or tools, normally those tasks were done manually. So now these tasks are being automated or and run at real near time, which means that a lot of processes are no longer performed by analysts. So Microsoft is releasing uh, all those lessons learned and guidance from our own operations center. I will be providing a lot of links uh, with our, our site. Uh, so next up, we have our guest, uh, Marianne. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Marianne. Uh, why don't you spend a couple of moments just to explain uh, kind of what you do at Microsoft, a bit of explanation about the group that you're in, and then we'll uh, ask you a bunch of questions. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast. I am with Microsoft Security Solution Area. My particular team is the Security partner development team. And what we do, we leverage the strength of our partners to help secure our customers. So what do I mean by that? We understand that security is a team sport and we believe in the power of collaboration. So we work with our strategic partners to drive customer satisfaction, um, we uh, work on thought leadership. We work on accelerating the adoption of Microsoft security, compliance, and identity solutions and support our 
sellers and our global sales team to further support that customer. When you look at our work with our partners, it's through the entire business development life cycle, which means that we work with the partners to build solutions together, again, to address the need of that uh, customer, as well as working with them to develop go-to-market and then co-sell initiatives. The group works uh, with uh, Microsoft strategic partners. My particular focus is the public sector, and, um, and that's what we do. So what is the role of partners uh, in regards to uh, this work, and how do they get involved? That's an excellent question. As I said, uh, security is a team sport. So um, Microsoft really understands that our customers have a choice when it comes to security. And often, even on this podcast, we've discussed how customers are uh, looking at how to reduce their technical debt, how to consolidate this uh, frenzy of tools that they have. So what Microsoft does is it works very closely with partners. Some of these partners may be um, independent software vendors. In fact, in 2018, we launched, Microsoft launched the Microsoft Intelligence Security Association with 26 members. And um, today we have more than 130 members. So um, some of our partners definitely fall into that category. Other partners that I work with may be the um, very large um, system integrators and, um, and other partners may be uh, very uh, niche um, uh, managed service providers and or some may be managed security service providers. So each one of these partners have an area of expertise and help to address a, a need that, uh, that the market uh, has. And um, recently, in fact, when I talk about MISA, which is the Microsoft Intelligence Security Association, we've announced the a pilot program with the uh, managed security service providers. And through that program, we are trying to expand the reach and the scale of uh, supporting the, uh, the customers, some of them that may be small, medium corporations that really rely on the expertise and um, uh, skill set of these uh, managed security service providers um, in order to be secure. Miriam, I got a question for you because, I mean, I kind of want to tie into sort of the governance risk and compliance that was mentioned earlier. Like, what are the sort of top trends or the, the big things that, that you see that are kind of affecting our customers and, and the partner ecosystem? When it comes to uh, what we've just been um, discussing about how Microsoft works with partners, we all know that security world is a dynamic world, whether it's the threat landscape that is evolving, uh, whether it's the uh, regulation and compliance regimes that are changing and evolving, change is constant. So to address your question, one of, for instance, uh, recent regulations that uh, has come up uh, within um, U.S. and federal government, particularly Department of Defense, is what is known as cybersecurity maturity model certification. 
that was the Department of Defense desire and focus to try to reduce the um, vulnerability within the supply chain. And um, so within that uh, evolving, you know, landscape, we work with our partners, not only through the awareness, but also helping them with our solutions to be able to meet those, uh, those requirements. So one thing you mentioned, uh, cybersecurity maturity model, can you sort of explain that in a little bit more detail, perhaps the five levels of security maturity, um, as well as sort of where some of the, uh, some of the background standards that support the, the model? Again, cybersecurity maturity model certification, as I said, is intended to improve the security posture of defense industrial base. We're looking at roughly about 300,000 enterprises that are uh, commercial companies that contract with the Department of Defense, and they have to have enhanced protection to safe, keep, and protect what is known as controlled, unclassified information. And so CMMC has been uh, put together um, by the Department of Defense in order for them to have an ability to make informed decisions uh, based on the risk level of uh, these uh, companies that they would be procuring with. CMMC, when it came about, it basically is building on existing regulations that the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement, the DFAR 7012, has been in place uh, before to address the controlled unclassified um, information uh, safekeeping. But in the past, it was based on the self-attestation. But now with CMMC, no longer can we just rely on a company that says, I comply, but actually there will be auditors that um, go these uh, third-party assessors organizations that have to go and actually audit and say that um, a particular company is either level one, uh, level two, level three, all the way to level five. Now, these levels are all built on each other. So level one is basically a basic, uh, you know, security. It says that uh, you have um, basic cyber hygiene. And that is typically um, where you have to start. And that means that you're dealing with the federal contract information. And it's really based on um, the Federal Acquisition Regulation Clause 52204-21. Uh, that in itself has 17 particular you know, practices. Then some companies have to then um, be compliant to level two because they are getting to deal with a little bit more sensitive information. They're not there yet. By that, I mean the controlled unclassified information, but they're transitioning to that. So they have to meet the level two. And that level two now has 72 practices. So you see that um, they keep building on each other. Level three is uh, where there are a lot of focus uh, because that's where you actually have to show that you are protecting the controlled unclassified information. In the uh, world before CMMC, and actually it's still ongoing until the rule change um, is finalized, there is a National Institute of Standards and Technology special publication um, 800-171, which per um, 
Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement, the DFARS, um, I'm using a lot of acronyms, I'm trying to spell it out, uh, 7012, actually requires uh, companies that touch controlled unclassified information to meet the controls, all 110 controls that are specified in NIST uh, 171. What CMMC did, it actually introduced 20 additional controls. So now we are looking at 130 uh, total controls that a company has to comply with in order to be able to have the right to procure with the Department of Defense. So this is extremely important. Majority of the companies that um, are looking to, in that defense industrial base, to procure with the Department of Defense have to go through this. Very small sliver of them, maybe a percent or so or less than that, potentially will need to meet levels four and five, which basically say at level four that you're proactively practicing cybersecurity and level five, which is extremely expensive and advanced, says that you actually have uh, uh, advanced and uh, proactive you know, measures in place. So, uh, so that's basically the, uh, the CMMC and its, uh, and its level. And one other thing that I wanted to mention, this, the, what is very interesting about CMMC is that it is built on not only National Institute of Standards and Technologies, but also on some of best practices and standards that are coming from other places like the United Kingdom or Australia. Um, and so it's definitely expansive. Cool. Um, so what's Microsoft doing to help customers prepare for all of these changes and these things, these regimes that are coming in? So Microsoft um, is uh, working on a getting our own um, products certified, but also we are focused on helping our customers. So what we did is uh, we issued series of blogs. In fact, um, there was a, a blog that uh, was written by uh, Lily Kim, which talked about our uh, a program that we're putting together, which is called uh, CMMC Acceleration Program. And that is really meant to help um, you know, companies that want to leverage uh, the power of cloud in the shared responsibility model to be able to um, you know, uh, meet some of those controls that I've uh, touched on. And then uh, there was two additional, and recently, very recently as of today, an additional, so now it makes it three additional uh, blogs that we have issued and we talk about uh, more from an educational perspective, different uh, uh, areas that are of our interest to our customers uh, about uh, CMMC and uh, how they can go about uh, implementing these controls. And um, one thing that I have to say, so we definitely are focusing on leveraging, as I said, partners to help us to, to get the word out and help the ecosystem to meet the, um, the Department of Defense uh, requirements. So partners will um, definitely play a big role and um, managed service partners are uh, come to mind that, uh, that are you know, important and earlier, uh, both uh, Mark and Gladys touched on as an example on Azure uh, Sentinel. Uh, so that definitely plays a role in terms of a product that can help manage security service providers to help um, in this space. So what is the timeline for the program and when is the CMMC going to be available? 
So there are, um, from a Microsoft perspective, there are several uh, variables, um, including when our Microsoft product uh, certification uh, happens. Our um, intention is to release the um, CMMC acceleration program after Microsoft product assessment is done. And so um, that is really subject to, uh, to, to that timeline. But meanwhile, we are, as I said, we are really doing a lot of campaign of awareness and uh, talking about best practices and participating uh, in different, you know, venues and uh, educating and, um, you know, being involved in the dialogue with the with the community. So I think you've you've touched on this a little bit, but are there implications of CMMC on uh, entities outside of the U.S.? Um, yes, and that varies based on the industry and the country. As an example, uh, Canada is setting up their uh, certified third-party assessor organization at their country level, whereas in Denmark, uh, they are actually doing it something slightly differently, and they are right now um, sort of looking at their national approach. And um, the, the one thing that I have to say, we still have time because the rule change is in the process and it's ongoing. As I touched on, we ourselves, along with a lot of our um, folks in the ecosystem, we attend, you know, uh, different events that uh, various people from the Department of Defense participate in. And um, in one of these recent events, um, uh, Ms. Katie Arrington, who's the Chief Information Security Officer in the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment, said that um, they are still, even with pandemic, they're still um, expecting to, uh, to have the CMMC requirements in their first uh, couple of uh, solicitations around September October timeframe, and we are still they're still targeting around 7,500 companies to be certified in 2021. So the work is in progress. There are a lot of focus on this topic, and ultimately uh, it is expected that it would be included in every one of the contracts by 2026. And if you don't have the right levels, you won't be able to procure with the Department of Defense. Thank you, Mariam. If there's a, uh, one item that you could leave our listeners uh, with, what would it be? You know, to me, um, everything I do when it comes to security, it's really uh, personal. To me, it's a calling and I do what I can almost um, passionate about it, but to, to do what I can to help my fellow citizens, um, our nation, our uh, communities safe and secure on the digital domain. And so whenever I get on a public forum, um, I really call on like-minded people to adopt security and privacy consideration in everything they do. So we are um, working for Microsoft, we have that mindset, we believe in uh, maintaining trust in our platform and all we do. But I also want to make sure that I call like-minded people to do the same because, again, security is everyone's business and it is a team sport. Hey, Mariam, thank you so much for stopping by to join us on the podcast. We really appreciate it. And thank you to all of you for listening. We hope you find this podcast useful. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net.
If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.